Welcome to episode number 17 of the Grab Blogger podcast. We're helping academics build online businesses and change the world through blogging, podcasting, and video. This is a show we're helping you create side hustles, create online businesses, create personal brands, and start to build that into something that actually make change and influence the change that you want to see in the world. Today's topic and today's episode is around personal finance tips for PhDs, and specifically those that are running an online business. I want to welcome to the show to talk about that, uh, an expert in this area, Dr. Emily Roberts from Personal Finance for PhDs. Emily, thanks for coming on today. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Chris, and I'm delighted for this opportunity to speak to your audience. Yeah, in this episode, we'll be talking about personal finance tips. It'll be a little bit different of a setup than the the previous shows with guests. We're actually going to go through um, Dr. Roberts' top five tips on personal finance for PhDs running their own business. Emily is, has sort of been a longtime friend, a longtime colleague in the self-employment PhD space. We are both members of the self-employed PhD group for over two years now, I'd say, and that's part of the Beyond the Profit Soriate community now. And I really got a behind-the-scenes look at her business as she, she grew it. So from her graduate work through to doing a lot of speaking and training in universities to what is now Personal Finance for PhDs, which is abbreviated pf 4 PhD. S, so pf4phds.com, um, and her podcast work. And we'll kind of walk through all that, and then we'll get into the you know, the top five tips that she recommends for her PhD starting their business. So a little bit on your background I want to cover, just because I know you did this journey. You were a grad student. You graduated with a PhD in biomedical engineering. You moved into entrepreneurship, and, and now you're at personal finance for PhDs. But kind of taking us back, what was that journey like for you? And a lot of our guests will be in similar places right now. Of, of starting your online business journey? Yeah, so it really started with a subject area that I had a personal interest in that grew and grew, right? So that's personal finance. And that started all the way back when I graduated from college, basically. I started my post fellowship, which I did for a year before starting my PhD. And that was the first like full-time job I'd ever had, more than like a summer. And I was receiving this you know, paycheck for the first time and I didn't really know what to do with it. And of course, it wasn't a large paycheck because it was a stipend paycheck. And being a, an oldest child, I'm very like responsibility-oriented. And so I decided to discover what is the best thing to do with this income that I'm now earning. So that was when I first started learning about personal finance. And my interest in it just grew and grew and grew. And it was very tightly intertwined with my journey as a graduate student. Um, again, earning not that much money, but wanting to do the best possible job I could with it. And of course, my own finances evolved over the years that I was in graduate school and became, you know, more complicated and more interesting with time. And basically, by the time I finished my PhD, well, I'll take a step back. So about midway through my PhD, I started blogging about personal finance. My blog was Evolving Personal Finance, um, EvolvingPF.com. And that was sort of my own personal, you know, musings on the topic of personal finance, how it was affecting my own finances. But basically, I saw as you know, I was watching the stats for that uh, website, you know, the traffic, the comments that were coming in, the comments and questions I was receiving through email. I saw that the posts that I had that were specific to finances for graduate students, specific to living on a stipend, were the ones that were getting all this like search traffic and stuff and all these comments. You know, people were thanking me for sharing, you know, my research and my thoughts with them. Um, they were asking me follow up questions, and so that really was my first clue that this was something that other people were interested in and needed to know about and that I was maybe, you know, more interested than other people and willing to do the research and willing to write about it and willing to put that information out there. So 
really, you know, this did start as a blogging journey during graduate school. And then when I finished grad school, well, when I defended, I was still living in in Durham, uh, the same city, for a few months after I finished. And so I decided as a volunteer to put on a seminar, basically, for the other students at Duke, like kind of an everything I learned about personal finance as a graduate student seminar. And I did, I delivered that, you know, answered the audience questions. And it was just, I was feeling really burned out on my research at that time. And that was just the most fun that I had had in years doing anything remotely professional. And so that's kind of what started me down this journey as like a business owner, because I was saying, okay, I've had this blog to this point that wasn't really, really set up as a business truly. But now I really want to do this speaking thing. Um, And I've been doing that in the years. It's been like about five years almost since then. So I speak at universities and I also, of course, run an online component to my business. But the speaking really came first. And the rest of my online business, I've been building up a little bit more slowly um, in the years since then. Yeah, I like that story. And it's it's interesting because there's definitely parallels with my story where I just started blogging. It wasn't a business. But eight months in, a year in, it kind of struck me that there are elements that could be monetized and brought into being a business for you as speaking. And for me, honestly, it's, it is a bit of speaking as well, but just having my, my son this year has, has kind of quashed the amount of speaking that I'm doing. And for me, it, was, it ended up being putting this educational material out and connecting people in the industry together, but just getting started and putting, creating the blog is a great first step. And then for those that are interested in speaking, just signing up to do a seminar did, was the first seminar you did just a like a free seminar by any chance, or was it something you were paid for? No, it was strictly volunteer. It was actually, again, at Duke and through an organization, Personal Finance at Duke, that I had been volunteering with for the last couple of years. So I had actually been on the other side of things, and I was helping when they brought in speakers to help you know prepare the person for the audience that they would you know be facing. Um, and it was through observing that process and observing those speakers that I started thinking, I could do this and I could do this even better than what I've been seeing because again I come from that community. I, you know, I come out of academia, I have a PhD, so I'm very intimately knowledgeable with the the struggles that graduate students and early career PhDs have. And you know, since the very beginning of my business which really was focused on graduate students, I would say in the first year or so, you know that thing like teach people who are 6 months to a year behind you, right? So now that I'm five years out from my PhD, I feel much more comfortable, you know, helping graduate students, helping postdocs. My husband did a postdoc for a while. And of course, early career PhDs, you know, a couple years into their first real jobs or so. Yeah, I love it. And you really found a group that resonated with not just your message, but with you personally, because you're of similar backgrounds. And once you find that group, then that's where you can really dive into. So you don't really need to know your audience right away. Like you said, put some material out there and and the people that were resonating with you were um, people had stipends. They're like, how do I, what do I do? It's a limited amount of money. Where should I put it? And uh, I think that ties right back into today. Can you describe a bit what is personal finance for PhDs? And just for the audience, again, it's abbreviated PF4PHDS.com. Actually, in episode four of the podcast, I went through how to name your blog, podcast, or video. And I, I use personal finance for PhDs as an example of of using an acronym, which is kind of catchy. So I like that. But what is what is personal finance PhDs? What can people expect if they go there? Yeah. So, of course, if you go to the website, you'll see uh, the online presence, right? So the business overall is me, right? I'm a solopreneur. 
And I, again, do a lot of the speaking stuff. You can find that on the site. But in terms of individuals and what they can find and what they can use, I have a blog there as well. I publish about once a week these days. And I've actually recently made a switch from doing all articles. So a new article every single week, kind of long form, in-depth. It's much less personal than my first blog. My first blog was very personal. This one, this website is much more informational, I would say, like really just diving deep into different topics and what you need to know. So they can find tons of articles there. But about a year ago, I started a podcast. And so for the last year, I've been doing alternating basically one article and one podcast episode two times per month. And now, uh, starting this summer, I'm doing only podcasts, basically, maybe the occasional article, but a podcast episode every single week. So I'm going to try that out for a while. So depending on what format you like, you can read articles, you can listen to podcasts, you can watch now videos from my podcast or other videos I've made in the past. Um, So those are kinds of the ways you can consume free content on the website. And then if you sign up for my mailing list, of course, there's many different opportunities to do that. And you'll get various excellent downloads, helping you dive further into the information depending on what you're interested in. Um, And I also offer some like courses, digital products, webinars, those kinds of things, um, which are paid products, but fairly low priced, keeping in mind uh, my audience. Yeah, I love it. And I've I've been a, a listener of the Personal Finance for PhD podcast. I've been on the show. By the time this comes out, I think my my episode will actually be live as well. So you can probably just search the website and find me there. And there's lots of great topics, things like should you rent or should you buy a house as a student, things like side hustling that we talk about here, things like what should you do with your money when you start making it, and a lot of the the mental kind of side of of this personal finance journey as well. Chris, you left off you left off my two favorite topics, um, which are taxes and investing. Yeah, so I end up talking about that stuff a lot. Not as relevant for you as a Canadian because it is so country specific. But for those of you listening in the U.S., I know taxes are a huge pain point. That's actually one of my major kind of suites of effort now every year during tax season. You can find so much tax material there. Um, and then investing as well is something I'm really excited about for you know graduate students, postdocs, whoever, when you get to that point in your journey, how to do it well, how to optimize it. So I talk about that a lot. Love it. And you couldn't have picked more topics that are more confusing and have more confusing information and are hard to get figured out. So that's, you know, definitely go check it out for that. So for this episode of the podcast, we're talking about your top five tips for PhDs that are starting or looking to start or running an online business and just what should you be doing with your personal finance? What do you need to to figure out around that? So kind of jumping right in, what is, what is uh, tip number one? So tip number one is an oldie but goodie. I guarantee you've heard it before, but you may not have actually followed through on it. And that is to have a separate business bank account that is separate from your personal checking account or whatever you typically use. And so again, this is kind of the first thing that anyone will tell you about running a business is to open a separate account. And I didn't, I have to admit, I did not follow through on this, you know, right from the beginning when I started, you know, making money from my first blog, but it is something that I eventually did. um, And it's totally helped. So the reasoning behind it is basically just to keep your income and expenses separate. One, for easier tracking purposes. So like, depending on how intensely, you know, if you're using software, or if you're really intensely uh, manually tracking your business and personal expenses and so forth, having that separation of accounts just makes it easier to do that, right? So like you can just log into the one account or download all the transactions from it and know with confidence that those are all the transactions related to your business and that none of your personal transactions are mixed up in it. 
And this tip is really, again, foundational to kind of the other four tips that I'll be telling you. So the other ones don't even make a ton of sense until you do this very first step. Yeah. And I'll add to that because I did my own finance, my own bookkeeping um, and my own taxes in the first year I made money. I probably did my own bookkeeping for uh, say about eight months. And part of that, I had a personal account and then part of that, I had a business account. And it was both really complicated for me to keep my books straight. But then once I actually hired it out, which is which is probably a good thing to do at some point in your business, you'll get to the point where your time's not best spent doing your own books because it takes a lot of time. That person actually had to go back through and pull out all the stuff that was integrated between the two accounts. So it's it had like a double hit effect in in me not doing it right at the start. I would I would ask so like what's that process look like? If you I'm I'm picturing the listeners now saying, okay, I need a bank account, but I'm really nervous. Like I don't want to go to the bank and tell them I'm a online digital entrepreneur and and what what the heck does that mean? So how what's it look like to go open your own bank account for a business? Hmm. I don't know that the banks really, I mean, they may ask you what you're up to, but I don't think they really care too much. <laughs> Except maybe that they want to figure out if they should be extending you like lines of credit or something, which uh, as an online business owner is not typical, I would say, for this space uh, to be borrowing at the beginning of your um, at the beginning of your self-employment journey. So what it looks like is basically either showing up in a branch or going to a website and kind of like opening your personal account, but just designating, you know, honestly, you don't even really need to say it's a business account. The main thing is just that it's a separate account. But if you want to say it's a business account, that's great. That's totally fine. Um, but basically just opening an additional account and maybe you should be looking as you are with your you know, primary bank used for your personal accounts for the perks or the services that are most important to you. So maybe it's, you know, being able to deposit checks through your smartphone um, or maybe it's maybe it's being able to interact with a person from time to time. If you do need to call in to customer service or go into a branch, whatever it is that's important to you, certainly make sure that they offer those services. And I would say, as with your personal and with your business checking account, there is no reason to pay fees. Don't pay fees, at least in the US, I'll say that. Don't pay fees for like, you know, oh, you have a low balance, here's a fee. Oh, you want to have a an account with us every single month, here's a fee. Find a bank that will not be charging you any fees whatsoever, especially when you're starting out. You know, maybe that account's going to have really low balances in it a lot. Maybe you can't keep a thousand or more dollars in it and you don't need to for your business. So just make sure the bank that you, you know, enter into this relationship with is, is uh, treating you well as a customer and giving you all the services that you need. Oh, I love it and couldn't recommend it more. And I didn't think of the case. I was already pretty far down the track. So I did a corporate bank account, but if you're just getting started, I'd recommend opening a bank account first before you make any money. And probably second, just do it as a, an additional personal account. And then your life's probably a lot easier and transferring it to a, a corporation, a corporate account actually is pretty easy, easy down the road too. The big thing is to have a separate account, not necessarily to have a business account. Exactly. And I'm really speaking with all these tips from the idea that the person, you know, the audience member is setting this up as a sole proprietor, first of all. Once you get into having more business structure, like maybe you've decided to incorporate or something, that's a whole other level of complication. And you're likely to have some other experts on your team by then. You'll likely have met with an accountant, maybe a lawyer. So really, I'm talking to people who are just uh, starting out and working as sole proprietors. That's a great first entry tip. So what's tip number two then for, for personal finance tips? Okay, second tip is to intentionally pay yourself. So this kind of goes hand in hand with the first tip of having a separate account. 
So when you have all of your business and personal expenses and income mixed together in a single account, when you do have income coming in, it's just going to pop up in your personal account, be mixed in with all your other money right away. Really, it's much better, again, to have the separation of having two different accounts. And then once you have income coming in to your business account and it's above your expenses and so forth, you can start to pay yourself. And all I mean by intentionally is to set up some kind of schedule or some kind of structure around paying yourself. So maybe it is going to be a regular paycheck. Maybe you're going to pay yourself every month or every two weeks or whatever frequency you're comfortable with in the same amount. You know, Maybe your business is at that point. Or maybe you're just going to say to yourself, okay, well, every time my account balance gets to X, I will pay myself Y. You know, But whatever it is, have a plan for uh, when to pay yourself and in what amount to pay yourself. Yeah, I really like the the set point limit. There's a book that I've talked about on the podcast before, The Richest Man in Babylon. And if you're ever looking for the the root recommendation of why people say pay yourself 10% of your your earnings to go into your net worth, that's as far back as I can go. I think the book's from 1920 something, and that's that's the first place I can find it referenced. So in that book it says pay yourself 10% of your earnings and throughout your lifetime you'll you'll be able to have that grow. That's a lot easier to do if you have a separate account. So back to tip one and tip two, I like the set point. So every time you make $100, take $10 and pay yourself. Or every time you make $1,000, pay $100. And it may take you a while. It, it would have took me eight or nine months before I made enough money to pay myself my first 10 bucks. Uh, but that's a really great way to think about it, about intentionally paying yourself through that process. Yeah. And this very much depends on the nature of the work and how and how the income is coming in, right? So like me as a speaker, uh, and, and specifically at universities, I have seasonality to my business, right? So I work a lot in the fall and the spring. I do almost no speaking work over the summer and even like kind of winter break-ish, December, even November is kind of slow, right? So there's months when I have higher income coming in and months when I have low or no income coming in. And so I've done this a couple different ways, right? I've decided, okay, every time my account balance gets to, you know, this high, I'll pay myself a pretty good chunk of like the, you know, speaking fees that I just earned. Or, and I've also done it the other way of having a salary. So every single month I'm going to pay myself the exact same amount and it'll just be that my business account balance is higher in some seasons and lower in some seasons but it's able to smooth out what I'm actually receiving into my personal account. So it really just depends on, yeah, how frequently you bring, you're being paid and, and what amounts, what's going to make sense for you. No, that's perfect. So tip number one, tip number two, what's the, what's the third tip? The third tip is to retain some earnings in your business account for reinvestment. Now, in that last example, Chris, you just threw out, okay, I've made $100, I'm going to pay myself 100 or sorry, 10, presumably the other 90 is staying in the account for reinvestment, right? Now, I would probably do the other way. I might say, okay, pay yourself 90 and keep 10. Really depends on what the nature of the reinvestment is going to be. So think about... um, So this is, again, another reason to be separating your accounts is that you don't want to be thinking about, oh, well, in my personal account, I've really taken in $90, but there's this extra $10 floating around that I have to keep for reinvestment. No, it's too complicated. Keep it in your business account only. So the flip side of intentionally transferring money to your personal account is intentionally keeping some money in your business account for reinvestment. And so you might be thinking, well, as an online business owner, like 
I mean, what I'm not buying like a major equipment, like, you know, what are the expenses here? Of course, you may have some monthly expenses or annual expenses related to your business, like maybe some software subscriptions that you have. Maybe you pay like a licensing fee once per year. I know I do. But there may be other ways that you can choose to reinvest in your business. Like maybe you've decided to take a course um, or hire a coach to work on your own sort of professional development type skills. Or maybe you've decided to attend a conference where you're going to do this great like networking stuff. Maybe you want to hire a VA to offload some of your work, but maybe you need a little money up front to do that. Maybe you're going to pay for expert advice or potentially purchase a new tool that is like a one-time fee. I know like for the one time for the expert advice, I did that myself last year kind of for the first time. So as I said, one of my main areas um, in my business is, is taxes, helping grad students and postdocs with their complicated taxes. And last year after doing that for a couple of years, I was like, hmm, maybe I should double check with a professional that all this information is actually correct. I think it is. But anyway, so I hired basically a CPA for a few hours of work to do research for me and kind of verify that, you know, everything I had that I've put out there was right and to answer some of the more like tricky questions that I had that I wasn't really able to find a definite answer on. So that was an investment for me of, you know, the significant like fee to pay that CPA, but it paid off in many other ways after that point. But because I had retained earnings within my business account, I was able to pay that without immediately, you know, seeing more money come in due to, you know, hiring out that service. Yeah. And it's probably actually pretty I'm trying to think of a better word than exciting, but that's all it's coming to mind. But to see it start to grow, right, in that separate account, you're saying, Oh, I could use that for something to help accelerate my business or help grow my business. I know personally I've taken a dozen or more courses, uh, everything from your $30 course to uh, we paid a couple thousand dollars for different courses. Uh, I've, done, I've done the coaching and that's all from retaining earnings. That 10% number, now that I think about it, that's the number you should be, or according to the rich man of Babylon and, and personal finance theory, that's the sum that you should be paying after personal finances or sorry, after, um, after your taxable earnings that doesn't go to like all the other stuff, like your house and your food and um, all that sort of stuff. So that 10% would be pretty low for taking out of your business. Maybe a 50-50 splits better or maybe a 90-10 splits better, like you're saying. But the key is to think about it that way. You have a separate account and you can do two things with that money. You can pay yourself or you can have this retained earnings and use that for reinvesting in your business. And you get to make that choice. So that's a really, it's a really powerful way to split it. Yeah, I think another way to do it is so there's a percentage split, right? That you could decide on. And that's actually similar to the profit first method. If you or some of your listeners are familiar with that, or if you're not, pick up the book, Profit First. But it's about how to split your earnings in your business between um, you know, operating expenses and profit for your business and uh, you know, payroll, I guess payrolls under operating expenses, but um retained earnings versus actual profit for you as a business owner and you know reinvestment is in there. So check out profit first. There's a whole system to that if you want it. That idea is basically not to let your operating expenses consume all of your earnings in your business to maintain some profit for yourself. But anyway, um so you could do a percentage split like what we've been talking about or maybe it's it's that you know triggering balance. So maybe you say to yourself, okay, I'm always going to keep like $2,000 in my account for opportunities that come my way. Conference, tools, hiring out something, whatever it is. And then above that, you know, maybe that's your retained earnings that you always want to sit in your account. And above that is what you're, you know, having ongoing income and ongoing paying yourself from. 
but just some way of doing it where you have some money available to you if you want to make a quick decision to invest it in your business or in yourself. If you make that investment, you're going to accelerate your progress as a business owner. If you try to do everything yourself forever, you're going to be really kind of limiting yourself. We had my first hire for for dust safety science or dust my dust explosion research.com was a was a VA for you know less than ten dollars an hour that was helping me just do online research. Just Google 20 keywords and send me all the results for blog posts for material that was put up. That was sort of where I started with reinvesting in the business. As I mentioned now, we have operating budgets and investing budgets and we actually have um, budgets for the team to reinvest in ourselves. And one of my team members wants to, to up their skills. Um, that only makes them faster, better at helping the, the company grow as well. So it's a, it's a really important topic and it's something that grows with you as your business keeps growing. Starting off right at the beginning is probably a, a really good way to go. Yeah. And once again, it all comes back to setting up those separate, the separate business account from your personal account. So you can pay yourself intentionally, you can retain earnings intentionally, and just make kind of cleaner decisions around it when your money's not all like jumbled together and cluttered up. It's easier to think your way through the decisions you need to make in your business. I love it. And I think I feel a, an infographic or something coming on at some point because these, these really go into each other. So you have tip number one, um, open a separate business bank account. Tip number two, intentionally pay yourself from that bank account. And this can be sort of a salary, some amount per month, or it can be a percentage basis. Tip number three is to retain earnings into the business. It's going to help you grow, help you invest, help you do the things that you need to do, or even things you don't want to do in your business to help that grow. What's tip number four? Fourth tip is back to one of my favorite subjects, prepare for tax time. So I am I am really going to be speaking from you know the perspective in the US, but you can tell me how things work for you as well. Um, but basically there's a few different kind of tips within here. The first is to expect to pay tax on your income. Now, of course, if your business expenses consume all of your business income, then yeah, there's probably not going to be any or much of a, uh, you know, an effect on your taxes. But if you are paying yourself and taking money home and it's a significant amount of money, yeah, you should expect to pay tax on that. And I've heard like kind of rule of thumbs thrown around here in the US like, okay, set aside, you know, 25% of the money you pay yourself uh, for tax time. And that's okay as a starting point. I, I like a different one better, which is to do the actual calculation. And so, well, a starting point for it. So here in the US, what I think people should set aside is from, you know, the amount you pay yourself is 15.3% plus your marginal tax rate. So let me explain that. So 15.3% is going to be that's the self-employment tax rate. So basically, when you have a regular job, your employer, you and your employer are both paying a FICA tax. That's um, Social Security and Medicare. But when you are self-employed, you have to pay both sides of it. So the total is 15.3%. And if you're especially a graduate student in the US, you're not paying FICA tax right now. So that may not be a familiar tax to you unless you've had a job at another point in your life. Some postdocs pay FICA, some don't. So just FYI, that self-employment tax is a really big bite. And so that's just a self-employment tax. Then you also have to pay income tax. So that's why I mentioned your marginal income tax rate. You know, it might be 12% if you're a graduate student, or maybe it's 22% or 24% if your income is a bit higher. But whatever it is, the dollars that you add to your personal finances from your business are going on top of whatever your primary income is, if you have a primary income. This is assuming you're starting this on the side. 
So that's why I mentioned, you know, setting aside your marginal tax rate. Now, this is a little bit of an overestimate. You know, you may be able to pay a little bit less in tax. There are some, um, there's a 20% business deduction available to most businesses in the U.S. So maybe a little bit of an overestimate, but better to overestimate than underestimate. So again, of the money you take home, set aside that amount for taxes. But also keep in mind that if you're retaining some earnings in your account, on your books for a given year, it may look like your income is even higher than what you took home, right? Depending on what you've retained if you haven't yet spent it. So keep that in mind as well. Awesome. No, great tip. And I'm thinking back to my taxes now. I So I didn't create a separate account when I was sold proprietorship, but I should have. <laughs> but I did kind of do some of these things. I What I would do was every dollar I made, I'd take out half of it and put it in a separate savings account. The savings account happened to have other stuff in there, but I kept a spreadsheet that said, this is the money allocated to the business. And I was doing, I think, 50 or 60%. Part of that was taxes to pay for the taxes that would be on the income of the business. Part of that was for reinvesting. And I started doing that right away at the very start. I kind of wish I'd opened a separate bank account because there was a lot of hours lost tracking between sheets and and subtracting when it could have been easier. So that's a another plug for tip number one. Yeah, exactly. And I do the same thing, Chris. So like when I pay myself, you know, from my business account to my personal account, I immediately allocate that income in different ways. So I immediately set aside some for tax and I have a separate savings account for tax. Um, I allocate some. I do what you were, you were saying earlier about paying yourself first within my personal finances. So I, I pay myself like a 20% goes towards my retirement immediately. And I do some other percentage-based allocations of all the money that I take in. That that's happens to all the money we take into our household, actually, not just from my business. Um, so yeah, totally. The separate savings account is an excellent tool. So now we were talking about three accounts. We have a business checking account, a personal checking account, and at least one savings account for for paying your tax. So the first tip there within this tax tip is to actually set aside the money that you can reasonably ex- expect to pay in income and self-employment tax. And then the second tip under this tax one is to track everything. <laughs> track your income, track your expenses. Now having that separate account is going to help, you know, 95% with that, but you know, there may be some other things within your personal expenses that can be deducted as business expenses. So I think you should also track your time and your mileage. The time for me has come in pretty helpful when I've um, tried to deduct a portion of my internet expenses. So the so I work from home, right? So we pay for internet and our home, but I can deduct a certain fraction of that based on the amount that I use it for business versus using it for personal stuff. And so tracking my time, actually how much time am I spending using the internet for my business can help me, you know, sort of estimate what fraction of that is appropriate versus the fraction that is used, you know, for personal stuff. So tracking your time, that's one example. There are many other ways tracking your time can come in handy, but specifically for taxes, that's one. Um, And your mileage, if you have any, if you do any sort of driving for your business, keep track of your mileage. There are apps that can help you with that, but kind of just track, (laughs) track everything. Um, And it may, you know, it'll probably come in very, very helpful at tax time for getting additional appropriate um, business deductions. I love it. That's a important tip. And the last thing you want to do is wait till tax season and then have a $3,000 bill that you don't have the cash to pay for. <laughs> and that's probably a good sign. It means you made a substantial amount of money. But if you're not prepared for that, I mean, that, that shuts down sole riders around the world because they get there and go, oh, crap, I got to find this money. So put it aside <laughs> while you go throughout the years is a really big tip there. 
Exactly. So put it aside. Also track everything so you can minimize that tax bill as much as possible. And then the third sub tip within this tax tip is specific to the US, but you can tell me how it works for you. And that is to look into or consider paying quarterly estimated tax. This is actually something that I talk about a ton within my business because it affects a lot of grad students and postdocs. If they're being paid fellowship income versus actually being employed by their universities, they often have to handle all their own income tax payments. So if you didn't know, uh, for the US, the IRS expects to receive money from every taxpayer throughout the entire year, not just one time when you file your end-of-year tax return. Um, So... For you know, people with jobs, their income tax is being withheld for them by their employer. But if you don't have a job, whether it's because you have fellowship income or because you're self-employed, the responsibility then come back, comes back to you as an individual to send the IRS money four times per year, quarterly tax payments. So this is where the self-employment um, and the you know, grad student postdocs on fellowship kind of overlap. They both have to at least look into whether they're required to pay quarterly. Um, the way you do that is by filling out Form 1040ES. And, and yeah, it's, it's designed for, for both of those cases. If you're already doing it for your fellowship income, it's easy enough to do it as well for your self-employment income or if you've ever done it in the past for that reason or vice versa. Um, yeah, so you fill out Form 1040ES. The form may tell you hey, don't worry about it. Just pay your tax at the end of the year. No problem. It's really not enough you know, of an effect or maybe you have an exception for some reason based on your previous income. Or it may tell you, oh yeah, you need to pay quarterly. <laughs> and so that's where that savings account that you have you know, your tax money set aside in, that's going to come in handy four times per year, not just once per year. No, I love it. And in Canada, I can't, it's changed so much since we moved to a corporation and since we started paying salaries and dividends and since we're paying contractors that I, I can't speak intelligently to specifically what it is at each time, but I know as sole proprietor, it depends on your income level. So at some level you can do annual at some level, maybe you have the option and probably at some level you're forced, but I don't, I'm not my, my specific area. So I'm not exactly sure what those numbers are, but it sounds very similar to how it is in the U S. So we went through the first four tips. What's the, what's tip number five. I'd actually like to add one more thing on that. Just to add one more thing on that last tip. So in your first year of you know starting your online business, probably, I mean, you have to look into this still, but I'm going to guess that you won't need to pay quarterly estimated tax. You may ha- end up with a higher tax bill at the end of the year. But basically how the system in the US works is if you pay 100% of the tax you paid in the prior calendar year, in the current year, through, you know, throughout the year, through your, you know, withholding through your job or whatever it is, then you won't be penalized if you just pay all the extra at the end of the year. So in your first year of earning money through your business, you're probably going to be okay just working off of paying throughout the year the amount you paid in the previous year from your normal job or whatever. It's really that second year of business where you might start getting penalized for not paying throughout the year. Still, you know, as soon as you start the business, look into Form 1040, but that's my guess for how it's going to turn out in that first year. So don't like freak out about it, but just go and check it out and address it. Very likely it's going to say, hey, you don't have to pay quarterly. Great. Put that off till the next calendar year, but still be setting aside the money, of course, to pay the taxes. But you know, you could maybe we'll have about up to a year of reprieve from having to actually file quarterly. And by the way, filing quarterly is not complicated. You just do the calculation and send in the money. The IRS doesn't even want any forms. They just want the money. Um, And for those of you who are currently in graduate school or in a postdoc, and if you 
are realizing now that you need to um, file quarterly estimated tax or potentially may need to, please, we'll put it in the show notes, but go to my website. I have a huge article on how to do this. And I also have a course that runs throughout the year where you can get tons more like content on how to do this. And also I make myself available for live Q&As every single quarter uh, before the deadline comes up. So Chris, uh, if you don't mind, we'll put those two links in the show notes. No, 100%. I would not. I would recommend it 100% to to go learn from somebody that actually knows what what to do in these scenarios. And this sounds like a great opportunity to actually get one on one to talk with somebody and say, "Hey, these are the specific questions I have." So definitely check those out. We will definitely include those at grabblogger.com/slash/seventeen. I think we had space for one more tip. So what's uh, what's kind of the the final parting big tip that we should be looking at? Yeah, this final one is really more about the personal stuff than the business stuff. So with those, you know, that income that you're paying yourself, my recommendation, and this is the personal finance recommendation, is to give it a job within your budget, right? So we talked about earlier, like the reasons for not just allowing your business income to float directly into your personal account without some intentionality around it. This is kind of the same thing. Even once you're intentionally paying yourself within your personal, you know, budget or whatever it is that you do have a job for that earnings. So maybe if this is just a side income for you, especially at the beginning, maybe that's going to go towards additional savings, additional investing, or additional debt repayment, if that's what you're working on on the personal side of things. Or maybe you, um, it's going to fund some lifestyle expenses. Like Maybe you're like, hey, I'm working so hard on the side to earn this extra income. I'm going to treat myself. I'm going to go on an extra vacation. Or I'm going to be, you know, going to this, you know, fantastic like concert. Or I'm going to be going out to eat more often. Whatever it is. Another idea is that you could actually assign your your business earnings to pay a certain bill within your personal expenses, and every quarter or something have a different goal for a larger bill that you want those earnings to pay. So maybe at first it's paying like your Netflix bill. And then maybe it's paying your eating out expenses. And then it's paying your groceries. And then it's paying your rent. Like, I mean, whatever it is, right? You can assign it to pay a specific bill and use that as motivation to keep earning. But um, the basic, again, bottom line here is just to be intentional about the money you receive into your personal account. And this also, for those of you who are side hustling, like because you sort of need to, like maybe you're grad student or your postdoc stipend or salary is really quite low and you need this money to be paying basic bills, having the money that you earn tied to something specific in your personal finances is going to keep, keep you motivated to keep earning. So maybe in your business, you are nervous about pulling the trigger on a certain product offering or you're nervous about networking to get that speaking engagement or whatever it is. Think about your personal expenses and what you know that money is going to do once you pay it to yourself on the personal side and use that as motivation for putting yourself out there in your business. Yeah, I couldn't agree 100%. Setting a monetary goal and then seeing it kind of chip away at it is exceptionally motivating for driving you to continue with your business and doing the hard things like pressing play on a recording or shipping out content you created. Um, that would be an extreme motivator. And I think that's a great tip to to end off on. I'll do a short summary. So we went through five tips for, I call it personal finance at the start, but it's really their actual finance tips for running online business for PhDs. Tip number one, and, and really the big takeaway from this is to open a separate bank account is a great starting point. Um, I didn't because I didn't imagine opening a second personal bank account. I, I always had the corporate bank account in my mind, but that was actually, would have been a lot easier for me had I done that. So that's a great tip. Split into at least two chunks. Potentially pay yourself is tip number two. 
some percentage or at some set point. And number three is to retain some earnings for reinvestment to the business. We had a big discussion around preparing for tax time. We talked about um, four different areas there. Make sure you put aside the money up front as it comes in, um, tracking everything so that you can figure out what your deductions are and maybe you can add some more deductions that you weren't thinking of. Looking at quarterly tax payment options and then keeping in mind that in your first year of business, things may be different than in subsequent years. Um, and that's really where you're starting to get into, okay, we should talk to some people, uh, maybe talk to an accountant and, and figure that out. Uh, then we close on tip number five, which I, I love. Give every dollar you earn a job and you'll kind of watch those little soldiers march out and do things for you. And that's a, a really great way to stay, you know, stay motivated during your work. And I, two, two notes I think we have to make. One, this has been mostly focused around sole proprietorship. Once you incorporate, things are a little different and you'll probably be at a stage where you should look at a bookkeeper, well, accountant at least, and a bookkeeper because it takes a lot of time to track these things, especially as your business grows, especially if you're hiring out and doing those sort of things. And tip number two is that neither of us are, are CPAs or any sort of retro accountant. So this isn't really advice. It's just the lessons we've learned from probably the hard way <laughs> of, of growing your own business. So with that, I just want to say thank you again for, for Dr. Roberts, for Emily, for coming onto the show, sharing your, your immense background and some of your story actually about starting at blogging, speaking and your entrepreneurship journey is, is as interesting as the, the tips that you shared. So I really appreciate that. I just say uh, thank you for coming on. Oh, thank you so much. It was a pleasure. And if somebody wants to follow up and learn more about personal finance for PhDs, where's the best spot for them to, to go and learn what you're about? Definitely the best spot is my website. Again, PF for PhDs.com, P-F-F-O-R-P-H-D-S.com. And that's kind of the hub where you'll find all the stuff that I do. But another great place to connect with me is on Twitter at PF for PhDs. Yeah. And I was going to say, if you like this episode, if you're, if you're, these are things that you're struggling with, which I know they are, especially if you're at the point where you're, you're making money because they're, they're the, the biggest things that come down when you start being successful. Definitely let us know. Hit us up on Twitter at grabblogger at PF4PhDs. Um, let, you, let us know you like this episode. Maybe shoot some questions, shout outs to, to Emily, and I'm sure she'll, she'll go back there and help you on that. Um, as always, you want to listen to the transcripts of this episode or read the transcripts, you can get them at grabblogger.com slash 17. Uh, and we'll create a, we'll create actually a cheat sheet. We'll condense these tips down into just their, the raw form for a one page kind of thing you can look at to say, remind yourself, oh, this is what I was supposed to do um, in these different areas. So we'll put that on the, the show notes as well. So as always, I appreciate you listening to the Grab Blogger podcast. We're here to help you build your online business, help you build the, the personal brand and the authority in online spaces that you really need to make the big change that, that you want to see in the world. So until next week, have a great week ahead. And I look forward to talking soon. Mm-hmm.